right. Well, great to be here with all of you this afternoon and evening. I, I want to talk about how to, how to get to a place where we all are ready to fight, how we are all ready to overcome any kind of discouragement or weariness that might be on us. I know there's a lot of people that I've talked to that have, have said that it's been a, a challenging few weeks, months. And so I'm here to, to challenge us with a message that I've entitled, The Battles Before Goliath. The Battles Before Goliath. One of the, the theses that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out is that before David did what he did at Goliath, in that very famous battle, there was probably 90% of the battle had actually already been fought before he stepped out onto that field. And in particular, he had made several decisions in his mind that enabled the victory to occur. If we are not entering into any season of life without full mental readiness and preparation, we will undoubtedly fall. There's a, there's a lot to be said for stating and restating and coming again to this concept that the, the main battle is actually in our mind. There's one author who I like how, how this quote goes, my, my mind is a bad neighborhood that I try not to go into alone. The concept is that our minds are, are pretty treacherous places. It's easy to fall into discouragement, into confusion, into stasis. And so what I want to do is I want us to read 1 Samuel 17. It's a longer chapter, but I want us to read the whole one. And please do set your eyes on this chapter with me. It's, it's a well-known passage, but partly because it's well-known, we, we miss a lot of what's inside of it. So let's read this, 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting from verse 1 to the end, and read it carefully, thoughtfully, with fresh eyes here. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered at Socho, which, be, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Socho and Azekah at Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle. Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. 
If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and Abinadab, and, Nec- and third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then, as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistine. And he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich with great riches and give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, and your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he, defied, he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, the birds of the air, and the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sha'arim, as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul 
saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And David said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this incredible example of David. We thank you that he, as, as the progenitor of, of Jesus, shows us your heart, shows us what it is to prevail in battle. I pray that as we study this passage, that you would help us to see new insights and apply them into our mind and our heart, how we too can become victorious over the enemy, the real enemy, the devil, his, his, his demons, and the, the tremendous forces that are arrayed about us. God, I pray for me to be able to express my heart clearly, and more importantly, that your spirit would speak through me accurately. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is a very, very famous passage. I think we all know this passage well. Hopefully we have uh, meditated on this many times. But I want to I kind of look at a few different aspects of this that we may not have examined before. So the battle is set here, and we have the Philistines picture on one mountain over here. There's some kind of valley in the middle. There's another, another hill or mountain over here, and we have the Israelites on this side. And the stage is set just in these first couple of verses of this encampment. And if you didn't know where the story was, was going to go, and if you just had only read the chapters before, you would think, I know how this is going to go. Israel has their own giant. His name is Saul. And Saul is this fearsome warrior who has been very successful in battle. And he's a head taller than all of those Israelites. You're probably thinking, I wonder how he compares in height to Goliath. And you're probably thinking, this is going to be a good fight. Finally get to see Saul go head to head with Goliath. And you would also know from earlier in the story that Saul was directly chosen by God to be king. So here's this great warrior in Saul who's the one whom God has chosen. And we also know from other parts of scripture that the king is supposed to lead the people into battle. Okay, so in Israelite practice, the king wasn't supposed to be sitting behind everybody. He was supposed to be out in front leading the charge. By the way, this is, this is uh, something that I often think about, especially in times like today. The world would be a much better place if presidents and prime ministers, if they issued war decrees, if they had to be in the front of the battle. Uh, I've, I've often thought, even right now, if, if Putin had to say, all right, let's go invade Ukraine and I'm gonna be in the front, I think a lot of our battles probably wouldn't happen. And in fact, almost all of our battles probably wouldn't happen. But as it stands now, people sit back in air-conditioned palaces and rooms and tell other people to do the fighting. That's an aside. 
So you're, you're thinking, all right, Saul, show your stuff, man. You're, you're, you're the man, right? You're the, you're the guy. You're the tall one. You're the big guy. You're the one who's the king of Israel. Show us your stuff. This is your hour here. But he's sitting back. He's hanging back. And he's not doing anything. And so you think, okay, well, wait a minute. What's the deal? Why? Why isn't Saul stepping up into battle like he's supposed to? We know also from previous chapters that as impressive as Saul is, he's gripped by the fear of man. He's gripped by this, this desire to please people. He's gripped by this desire to, to want to be well thought of by others. He's very sensory in his, in his nature. He doesn't seem to have a lot of faith. Just a couple chapters before, remember how Samuel calls him out for his sin. And we won't turn to this, but in 1 Samuel 15, 30, Saul says, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel. Very interesting. He says, hey, I sinned, but in the, next, in, in the same sentence, he's saying, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. So it seems like in Saul's world, He's got to have people think well of him. He's got to be in good graces with everyone. And it's hard for him to really think of God as the sole or at least primary person to whom he's responsible for. He's trapped with the fear of man. In addition, this fear of man that he has is, is bound up with boasting. In that same chapter, again, we won't turn to it, but in 1 Samuel 15, verse 12, it was told to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. Like, what? What's this? Saul is gripped by the fear of man, and he's making monuments for himself. It's very interesting, right? So here's this king who isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not at the head of the battle. He's not fighting like he's supposed to fight. He's gripped by the fear of man. And instead, he is, he's making monuments to himself. My first point here is that the fear of man promotes inactivity. The fear of man promotes inactivity. See, if, if you're a person who's got this overwhelming sense of what does this person think and that person think and this person think, your mind will be engulfed in the calculus of an impossible equation to solve. There's, there, it's very, very, very easy to fall into this, this trap of thinking about, hey, what do they say? What does this person say? As, as we're going to see, this is the exact opposite of what David does. Okay, so my first point is that the fear of man promotes inactivity, and we see this in Saul. Despite all of his gifting, despite his being the king of Israel, he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. Okay, so now, there's a fascinating little story here that it's very easy to pass over that I want us to not miss. We know that David comes at his father's behest, right? Jesse told him, like, go to the battle, provide food, find out what's going on, bring back news to me. He's doing what his dad told him to do. And notice what happens when he does this. He goes to his brothers, he says he's got seven brothers, and look at verse 28 again. 
Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, when David spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger, was a lot, uh, Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Okay, so he comes down, good intention, He's got his cheese, he's got his bread, he comes to visit his brothers. And guess what? The person whom he's there to serve, his older brother, does his brother say, thank you, David. We are hungry. Man, some cheese sounds wonderful. Some bread sounds great. I'm just delighted to see you. And how's it going back at home? Let's exchange some some news. Let me tell my father how much we love him. Of course, the narrative doesn't go like that. Eliab rebukes David for pride and insolence. What I found fascinating about this account is that David could easily have then said, all right, all right, Eliab, you have no idea how far I came. We, just, we were just coming from Israel uh, a week ago, and it is hot. It is dry. You walk around a lot. Man, you're, it, is a, it is a tough place to get around. And he could have said to him, you have no idea the sacrifice that I made to be here. I'm hot. I'm thirsty. I brought you food. And now you're arguing with me? How, how dare you? I came to bring you food. What's up with you? What are you doing, man? And the whole battle could have turned into David and Eliab fighting with one another. I have a younger brother. I've had my share of fights with him. And there have been many times where I thought life was, was fine. And next thing you know, we're wrestling on the ground. What's going on? What did you do this for? What did you do that for? And we, we were going down in one direction. And next thing you know, we're rolling on the ground, wrestling and punching each other. Many, many times that has happened in, in our home. It would have been a very different story, right? The whole story of David and Goliath may never have happened had David engaged with his brother and and turned into this big sibling rivalry where they could have fought one another. It's very easy for internal bickering and internal fighting to take your eyes off of the real enemy here. The real enemy here is standing across the valley. His name is Goliath. And instead, David could easily have been caught up with some dumb fight with his brother. Very easily have done that. But David correctly realized that he's he's there not to fight against his brother, but to fight for his brother. It's very easy, isn't it, sometimes to get confused about who the real enemy is. It's very, very easy, right? So often people turn their guns internally and they forget, they forget the big picture. What are we here for? What is the battle about? Am I supposed to fight with my brother or am I supposed to fight against Goliath? Could have been a very, very different setting, very, very different battle 
Very different, different story if David fell for this. Okay, but, but notice what David does. Okay, look at, look at verse 30. A little phrase here that I don't want you to miss. Then he turned from him. Then he turned from him. He didn't put up his fists. He didn't go towards him. We're going to see another person that he does go toward in a moment. He turned from him. David has the maturity to say, not going to go there. I'm not going to waste my breath. I'm not going to get into a fist fight with you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to turn from you. I'm going to turn from you and worry about the real enemy, which is Goliath. It's not my brother. All right, now you, th you might think, okay, wow, whew, that's, that's, a, that's a terrible uh, place to be. My second point is to defeat your enemy, you first have to overcome your friends. To defeat your enemy, you first have to overcome your friends. His brother, I think they would have said they were friends. And his brother was probably well-intentioned. His brother probably thought he knew David. His brother probably thought he had all the right reasons to be rebuking his brother. But David, who's there on a good cause to do a good work, is accused of what sin? Pride. Okay? Very, very common that you will try to set out to do something good and right with good motives, and people will wag their finger and say, you're a prideful person. Is there anything to substantiate what Eliab says? Absolutely not. But it's a... It's a buzzword, it's an, easy, it's an easy name to throw at someone. Oh, you're prideful, you're prideful. In fact, as we'll see, David is anything but, although it was misinterpreted as pride. Okay, so then you think, okay, he's, he's clear now. He, he, he didn't fall for that, right? He could have fallen for some silly little internal bicker, bickering uh, spat with his brother. That doesn't happen. But now... What happens? Saul hears about it. Verse 32. I love David's confidence here. David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. Okay. So we've got another struggle, another little or big battle to fight. Picture this scene where the king of Israel, a seasoned warrior, Saul has a lot of experience, is speaking wisdom to David. Right? That's what, that's what most people would say. Is that David, here's a man of experience. Saul has fought a lot of battles. This is a man who knows what he's talking about. And what is he saying to you? He is saying to you, you are not able. And then fill in the blank here. In this case, you're not able to go up against this Philistine. Right now, if you had to, to say, to fill in that blank, you're facing something, you're facing some challenge, you're facing some difficulty, what would you fill into that blank? You are not able to, what's in that, that blank for you? You're not able to make it through this season. You're not able to, to uh, do this particular task that your heart is set on. You're not able to, to be loved. You're not able to have your sins forgiven. You're not able to, whatever it is, 
And it's coming from, in this case, a very respected individual, the king of Israel. So David has to overcome his older, older brother, and he has to over, overcome the words of the king himself. That's, that's not an easy thing to do, right? Again, how many of us would have said, like, okay, hey, wow, you're saying this, Saul, you got a lot of experience, I got to listen to you and your advice. But of course, David doesn't just respond to emotion. And really, isn't what everybody here reacting to is just the emotion of the scene? I mean, I get it. Goliath is a big, impressive person, and he would have been imposing, and emotions can be overwhelming, right? You see this big guy, and he's yelling and screaming for 40 days. What does David do is he responds with a very calculated argument here. His argument is, your servant, David, I've had experience defeating big animals. And there's a big animal across the hill, which I, I know I can defeat again. <clears throat> Different shape to this animal. He walks on two legs and he talks, but I can take him out because God helped me to take out the lion and the bear. He's going to go down too. You watch, Saul. I got a track record with God and that track record is going to be sustained. My, my third point is that Victory is birthed in right words and thoughts. Victory is birthed in right words and thoughts. And I want you to pay attention to some of the language that David uses here. He doesn't just say about Goliath, he doesn't just call him the Philistine. He calls him the uncircumcised Philistine. Okay, now, a lot of this, read over this very quickly and might miss the significance of this. You might think it's just some kind of, like, some insult, like, it's just some kind of schoolyard insult, like you're a dork or something. It's not that. It's a much more profound statement. It's a statement that is saying Goliath is outside of the covenant of God. When God made his covenant with Abraham and with Moses, circumcision was right there as a key term in that covenant. And to call someone uncircumcised is to retrieve the language of, of Genesis, of Exodus, of Leviticus, of, of, of Numbers, Deuteronomy, where circumcision means that you are part of God's covenant family. David is using by this language, he's saying, Goliath, this uncircumcised Philistine, guess what? He doesn't have the covenant blessings, the covenant power. He doesn't have what we have access to. And, and I love how he refers even to the soldiers of, of Saul's army. He, said, he could have just said, like, you defy Saul's soldiers? What's wrong with you, Goliath? You defy soul, the soldiers of Saul? He could have said that, right? But what does he say? He, he totally reframes what most people probably would have said. He says, you defy the armies of the living God. This, this comes from a man who had just been rebuked by one of those soldiers. He, he sees, when he sees, who knows how many people were there on the side of Saul, he doesn't just see a, a scrappy group of young men who were serving Saul. He sees 
the armies of the living God. Whoa, what kind of perspective does he have? The vocabulary that David employs suggests a completely different way to think about ordinary people than most people have. When he sees Goliath, he doesn't see this big guy. He sees, he says, wait a minute, there's no covenant power to this guy. He doesn't stand a chance. But we, we are the armies of the living God. And I love the, the flow and the logic of his, of his argument here. He says that, that these previous Previous struggles that he had are evidence of God's working in his life. And, and then he says, the Lord, and the Lord there in verse, uh, verse 37 is, is capital, so that's Yahweh or Jehovah. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Actually, and in, in verse 36, I meant to read from 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Okay, two points from this. One of the things that seemingly everybody had forgotten in this is they had forgotten that time and time and time again, God had promised the people when they came into, the, into Canaan, into the promised land. What did God say? You're going to go against all these different foreign armies and you're going to be able to drive them out. You're going to be able to go and defeat them easily. You're going to be able to go and they're going to fall before you in, in, in great uh, demonstrations of my power. There were covenant promises that were made in Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that we often forget when we read this story. David is remembering these promises that God had already given to the people of Israel again and again, which is that you're gonna, you can go and you can defeat every single people that is in front of you. God didn't restrict that by how big they were, how many they were, how fearsome they looked, what kind of armor they had. You're going to be able to do that. And David now stands on kind of a double win of a promise. He stands on the win of his previous experiences, defeating lions and, and bears and these other animals. And he now even stands on a second promise. I hope you get this. He stands on this promise that God said, you can drive out all your enemies in front of you. You're going to win. David surely is using this kind of language because he recalls these promises. I'm, I am utterly, thoroughly convinced that you are, the book of Proverbs basically says this, but you are basically the sum of your thoughts and that you are constantly moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. The vocabulary that we use when we describe one another, as we describe the circumstances that we face, as we describe the all the situations of our life, it either betrays faith or it betrays fear. It betrays a worldview that is saturated in the promises of God or one that is saturated in one's senses and what seems to be true. David differentiated himself here from everybody else because when everybody else saw 
this mountain of a man, David saw only the one who can move mountains. How many of us, how many of us are crippled by, by fear, by doubt, by uncertainties, all kinds of thoughts. I'm not worthy. I can't make it. I can't be forgiven. It's too difficult. The future is bleak. That's what everybody else was saying here as they were lined up in battle. They were filled with doubts. And, and you know what all that Satan has to do for most of us is he has to just implant that thought in your mind maybe once. And guess what? You're going to repeat it to yourself a hundred times, a thousand times, and you're going to take care of the rest. He doesn't have to even keep doing it again and again because you, humans are really, really good or bad, depending on your perspective, at repeating thoughts and kind of digging these trenches of, of just inevitability. Most people, when they were seeing this, had in their mind, we can't do this. This guy's too big. Where's God? Why are we, why are we here? It's been 40 days. It's too difficult. I'm too little. I can't do this. I'm not able to do this. How in the world am I going to fight against this kind of armor? It's impossible. Again, Saul in verse 33 says, you are not able to, and then again, fill in the blank there about whatever you think is appropriate for your situation. How many statements could you make? Not enough, I'm just, whatever it would be. One of the one of the most valuable books in the entire Bible has to be the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms narrates for us these thought journeys that David goes on, where he starts off discouraged, dejected, feeling bad, and you get to see him not listen to himself, but talk to himself. And you get to see the movements of his mind as he makes it out of this hole into a place of confidence and rest in God. The book of Psalms is, is a book that I would urge you to spend time in daily as your template for how to refashion the thoughts in your mind to get to a place of victory. If you look at your life and you say, you know what, what have I really accomplished in my life spiritually? If you feel like, wow, how, you know, could I point to people in the church that I've brought in? Could I, could I point to triumphs that, that God has worked through me, perhaps it's the case that, according to my first point, that you've got fear, that fear has, has brought you to a place of inactivity. If you feel discouraged or confused or uncertain or just in generally in a place of, of stasis, the book of Psalms is for you. I'll read you from a couple of verses of one of David's Psalms where he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Did you catch that line in verse 2, forget not all his benefits? Isn't David doing exactly that here in this passage 
where he is remembering the benefits that God has provided to him. He's remembering this victory over the lion and the bear. Okay, just a little bit more on the, the thought patterns of this life. I am struck by this, I hope you are as well, that David seems to, to view this whole situation from the perspective of God's glory, right? He, when he sees Goliath, his first thought isn't, <clears throat> isn't, whoa, this is intimidating. His first thought is, who is this man who defies the living God? I love even how when he recounts these past victories that he had, he attributes his victories in shepherding not to skill as a shepherd, but to the deliverance of God. In verse 37, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, right? When you narrate your own past victories, your school accomplishments, your work accomplishments, your faith accomplishments, your family accomplishments, whatever it would be, do you narrate it from that perspective? From the perspective of the Lord was the one who furnished this victory. I think you could, we could overlay on this chapter, Jesus' line, hallowed be your name. David is a man who cannot bear to see God's name reproached or smeared in any way. For this reason, you know, this is, this passage, people always talk about Goliath as being a giant, right? David fighting this giant. But in reality, it's David and the dwarf. Because David has the kind of towering perspective that makes Goliath nothing but a dwarf. Nothing but the little man who's outside of the covenant power of God. All right, so he, he gives this speech to Saul, and Saul knows the right lingo. Saul knows the right spiritual language, right? In verse 37, he says, Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. Go and the Lord be with you. That sounds very spiritual, right? Go and the Lord be with you. And what is the very next thing that Saul does after saying, may the Lord be with you. Go, David, in the power of the Lord. What does he do? So, verse 38, Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. So David uses all this, like, I mean, uh, Saul uses the spiritual language about like, Go and may God be with you, but you know what? Let's put my armor on you and let's get you set here and let's get you all, all ready for, for conventional warfare in the ways that people fight today. And of course, it's an almost comical scene, isn't it? David, who's probably never worn armor in his life, is tripping over himself basically because he can't properly wear the armor. And it's of course a great picture for us today. There is a certain way that the world fights. There's a certain armor that the world uses. What is that armor? It's, it's violence, it's intimidation, it's naysaying, it's cruelty, it's giving the cold shoulder, right? That's how the world fights. 
standard weapons of the world's warfare. Mocking, you name it. How do God's soldiers fight in, in an unconventional manner? They fight with the belt of truth. They fight with the shoes of the gospel of peace. They fight with the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the, uh, the, sword of the spirit, with prayer, with forgiving love. The picture here of David with these five smooth stones is one of rejecting conventional warfare and trusting that God can use the ways that David has operated in in the past. Not having to fight in the world schemes, but in trusting in the ways that God has worked through him in the past. Of course, we know the story here that is is so beautiful and it, it gives me goosebumps every time I read it. I just, I can't, um, I can't but read it and be stirred up to excitement myself. I'll just read it again because it's, it's so glorious here. So it says, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? This is verse 43. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God of Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, then that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Okay, now how did, he, how did he behave towards Eliab? He turned away from him, right? He didn't want to waste his time battling his brother. He's not supposed to be fighting against his brother. He's supposed to be fighting for his brother. But when he sees Goliath, I would have loved to have seen this scene. He just runs. This guy runs not away, not sideways. He runs straight towards Goliath and takes, of course, the, the sling and, and sinks it in his forehead and, and down he goes. Cuts off his head. Amazing story. There's a, it reminds me of this story of a man who was boasting that he, he cut off the tale of a man-eating lion with just his pocket knife. And somebody asked him, why didn't you cut off his head? And the man said, somebody already did that. Um, and that, that's the kind of, uh, of supposed bravery that people will have, the kind of boasting that people will make where somebody else does the hard work and yeah, I cut off his tail of this beheaded lion. David is no such man. He goes out and decides he's going to be the one to lead the charge, to go front. Nobody's in front of him. 
He's going to be in front to take out Goliath. And God will get the glory. These, th this passage is such a beautiful passage. I want to just recall here some of the points that I've made. I said, first, the fear of man promotes inactivity. Again, look at your life. Look at what's happening in your life. What you've accomplished. Are you a person who is gripped by that? Or are you moving forward in the power of the Lord? To, your, to defeat your enemy, you first have to overcome your friends. I mentioned that victory is birthed in right word and thoughts. And my final and last point is what I just narrated, that we should fight God's way, not with the weapons of the world. I, I will be the first to admit that to achieve this kind of mindset that David had is no simple feat. This is not something that comes overnight. You know, the, there, there are neuroscientists who, who study the brain, and as we all know, we have trillions of cells, and our, our, our brain is something where it's much more akin to moving to change our, our mind and our thought patterns is much more akin to moving lots and lots of little rocks, moving millions of little rocks, rather than moving one big boulder. And it's frustrating because a lot of us want just this boom, this overnight instantaneous change, where in reality, we've got to find this rock and move it, find another rock and move it, find another rock and move it. It is the product of a lifetime of effort. David used his time when he was on the job, when he was tending his, his sheep, when he was, he was fighting, when he was um, uh, uh, doing his shepherding in order to cultivate this kind of mindset. I mentioned to you at the beginning, 90% of the battle was accomplished before he set foot on that battlefield with Goliath. Today, my, my heart is that we, all of us here, will be able to call forth a new courage, a new resolve to fight the real enemy, to not be distracted by the wrong things, to have the perspective of God's glory. We are here for God's glory, right? Do you believe that? Do you really believe with all your heart that we're here for God's glory? If you're here for any other goal you, you can pray till the cows come home you can do whatever you want that will be a fruitless endeavor I want us to not be recoiling in discouragement or doubt or fear but to run towards the enemy to run first towards that enemy don't, don't wait to be second or third or fourth or fifth to get, to get what's left behind but to go first to reframe your thoughts and your words in the language of scripture, to see the enemy as the uncircumcised Philistine who defies the army of the living God. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, help us to be people of courage, of strength, of resolve, who are not cowering on the sidelines, but willing to, to ask, is there not a cause to not burn our energy on the wrong things, so easy to do. 
you have very clearly told us that our enemy is the devil, and we have much work to do. The enemy has in his grip millions and millions of people, and the time is short for our, our labors. I pray that you would help us to follow in the, the, the path of David and the son of David, Jesus our Lord, who have shown us how to fight and to fight well and to bring glory and honor to your name. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.